Hey, good morning. Good morning, everybody. As you're finding your seats, we're so glad you're here. If you've got kids, make sure that they are checked in. We love them being with us as well. Got lots of guests this morning. So excited that you are with us as well. I say everybody's a little bit chatty this morning as you're getting to your seats and settling in for the morning. We are glad that you are joining us. We love what the Lord is doing um, in our body, in our church, in our local family. We love what he's doing in some of the churches in our city and in our region. And honestly, it is a response to what the Holy Spirit is doing and saying in the earth today. And so... um, a few weeks back, we kind of had a little bit of a, a service of where there was just an invitation of what the Lord had for us, and our response to that was yes. It was a resounding yes to His goodness, a resounding yes to what the Spirit of the Lord is doing among us and among the body of believers. And I love what the Scripture says. It says, let the churches hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And so this morning, um, as we get ready there's an invitation for you to worship the Lord. And um, I love something out of the Song of Solomon. Um, I have been in the Song of Psalms and just kind of stuck there because it's such a beautiful picture of the bridegroom and his bride and his deep love for her and her response to that deep love that he has for her. And I just want to read something this morning as we get started. This is from the bridegroom king. It is his invitation to his beloved, you know, we've kind of been in this thread a little bit over the last few weeks of how um, we've been invited to a banqueting table, and it's a banqueting table that is full, and it is it has everything that you need at it. So this morning, you're invited to that, that you are your beloved's, and he is yours. And the Bible says this in Song of, Sol- Song of Songs, it says, Arise, my dearest, hurry, my darling, come away with me. I have come, as you have asked, to draw you to my heart and lead you out. For now is the time, my beautiful one. The season has changed. The bondage of your barren winter has ended, and the season of hiding is over and gone. And I love that there is no hiding in the presence of the Lord. Um, Not like we could ever do it, but His tenderness and His heart for you is to draw you out of hard places this morning. It says, the rains have soaked the earth and left it bright with blossoming flowers. A couple of years ago, there was a prophetic word that um, we would have a super bloom, that we would experience a super bloom. And last night when I was praying, I got to thinking about um, how seeds in the wilderness are there and all it needs is the rain. So this morning, All you need is the rain of the Holy Spirit on the seeds of your heart for them to bloom. And we are making lots of space this morning. We've decided as an eldership team that we are making lots of space and room for the Holy Spirit to come and to move among us. The rains have soaked the earth and left it bright with blossoming flowers. The season for singing and printing the vines has arrived, and I hear the cooing of doves in our land. 
filling the air with songs to awaken you and guide you forth. There's an awakening in the church across the world today. Can you not discern this new day of destiny breaking forth around you? The early signs of my purposes and plans are bursting forth. The budding vines of new life are now blooming everywhere. The fragrance. Hang on a second, I lost my place, sorry. The fragrance of their flowers whispers, there is change in the air. I don't know about y'all, but the last month or six weeks or so, have you sensed a change in the air of like just this drawing near from the Holy Spirit of Him calling you closer, calling you into Him more and more? And it says this, it says, there is change in the air. Rise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place. For now is the time to arise and come away with me. For you are my dove hidden in the split open rock. It was I who took you and hid you up high in the secret stairway of the sky. Let me see your radiant face and hear your sweet voice. How beautiful your eyes of worship and lovely your voice in prayer. So this morning, would you stand with me as we respond with a resounding yes to love our bridegroom king the one who is the lover of our soul, the one who heals wounds, the one who brings encouragement where there is despair, the one that we make room for this morning because he is worthy. He is worthy of our all and our everything. So Holy Spirit, we come to you this morning. We ask, would you reveal Jesus to us? Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to us. Dismantle and untangle wrong belief systems this morning and flood us with the love and the goodness and the kindness of a good Father who overwhelms us and is more than enough for every need that we have this morning. But God, we press beyond our need into just longing and desire for you. In this moment, together, collectively, what are you saying and what are you doing among us, Lord? We love you, Jesus, and we welcome your presence, Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's worship together.
our story's just begun. Failure won't define me. That's what my father does. Failure won't define me. That's what my father does. Oh, lay your burdens down. Yeah. Here in the Father's house, take your shame at the door. He ain't welcome anymore. Oh, you're in the Father's house.
of when there is an invitation 
to someone or there's an invitation to come in, there's actually a response. There's a response on my part. So this morning, we're going to open up the front and there's a declaration over you this morning to say goodbye to shame, goodbye to guilt, goodbye to pain, goodbye to your past because he is more than enough. The blood of Jesus is more than enough for whatever you need this morning. So we're just going to open up the front for you to have a response to this invitation of his goodness and what he's declared over your life this morning in the name of Jesus. They're going to stay on this song, but it is just a wide open, flinging wide open your heart in the yes response of God. I believe that you are more than enough to meet whatever my need is this morning. So the front is open to just come and worship and have an intentional response to his goodness and his love for you this morning. Amen.
guys, um, as we were worshiping this morning, I had a picture of a dark room. Um, and you could see someone just standing on the other side of the doorway. The room was completely dark other than around the, the door frame. You could see cracks of light. And as they were standing there, they decided to open the door and the light just flooded in the room. It was all encompassing and all darkness was gone. So if that's you, uh, we're not going to necessarily ask you to come to the front. You're welcome to if you want prayer. But one of the things that we, we want to do, like Karen was saying before, is when we hear a word like that, what happens next is we should respond. And what's beautiful about the way God works is he's no respecter of persons, the Bible says, which means his character and his nature is the same for you as it is for the person he just re- who just received that word. So you can call on that and say, Lord, you know what? I need that. Even if you don't feel like that specifically for you, you can call that out and say, Lord, that's, I need to step into the light. If it's a situation, a scenario, just do that. So I'm going to pray and we're going to go back into worship. If that's you, would you just take just a minute and just respond to what the Lord is saying just to see what God might do and flood the light inside of you. So Jesus, we come. Um, Lord, we reach out like that woman who touched um, your garment, Lord. The brokenness inside. Lord, she even knew she was unclean, so much so, according to the law, that she couldn't touch a person because if she did, she would make them unclean until that evening. So even in her brokenness, Lord, her heart was not to offend or hurt. And Jesus, you felt her touch you, even though she just touched your garment. Lord, it doesn't take much faith, very little faith, Lord, for us to reach out and touch. And Lord, you come immediately. You come with the slightest gesture, Lord. And you flood our souls with light and mercy and your kindness and your goodness. So, Lord, would you do that right now? In Jesus' name, amen.
We just pour love on you again and again and again. Jesus, thank you for your presence among us, Lord. We have chosen for your presence to be the marker of our lives. Yeah, Lord, we choose for your presence to be the marker of our lives. Lord, we quiet our souls. Lord, we quiet. God, we quiet our minds. We clear out the distractions and the clutter of stuff. Lord, just mark us by your presence. Every time we make room, Lord, would you mark us again in a deeper and deeper level of your presence and who you are. worship you. Your presence is what distinguishes us. It's your presence that distinguishes us, Lord. Yeah, Lord, we worship you, Jesus. We worship you. used to his peacefulness you guys our services are going to be filled with more and more just of just the peacefulness and the presence of the Lord next week I'm going to be sharing um, I'm going to be sharing about just soaking in presence
We get that some of you are new to that concept, so we want you to be able to enjoy that journey along with us. So we're going to be sharing about that next week and what that looks like practically and how you participate in engaging and what soaking prayer looks like, soaking in the presence of the Lord. Um, because you want to get used to it here because you're going to be doing it for all of eternity, just so you know. Um, so we love you guys. We're so glad that you're with us this morning. Thank you for choosing to worship with us. And um, if you're a guest with us this morning, go to dothancf.com. Click the I'm You here. We'd love to connect with you and get to know you a little bit better. You can find out all the things that are going on on our website, community groups, um, grace teams, how you can bring your strength and serve within the local body of this church. And um, giving is online as well. Um, unless you're like me and Lawrence and Pat, and we give old school with a check. You can do that as well. Um, but we just love the generosity of this house because it allows for transformation to happen to people's lives. Um, every person in this room has been transformed by a story, and um, mainly the story of Jesus, but also the transformation of being loved, belonging, being in community, and so we just thank you for um, giving generously and how that becomes an outflow into our community. Um, we are going to dismiss our kids, and um, they are going to be learning about identity. And um, we always love that because there is no junior Holy Spirit. There is the Holy Spirit. We're going to dismiss our students as well. And um, we'll be right back with our message, y'all. All right. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Wave at me if you're still awake. <laughs> I literally one time fell asleep. Um, I wasn't, it wasn't because I was tired or sleepy or anything. The presence of the Lord was so sweet. I fell asleep, and I'm not even kidding. This is how bad it was. I felt guilty for weeks. Like, couldn't you pray one hour? That was the, you know, the, the phrase the enemy came, and, and it finally dawned on me that the presence of the Lord was so sweet and so full of grace that I just literally drifted. It was so peaceful. I just drift, drifted off into sleep. So don't do that. I'm just saying. <laughs> but don't, don't be alarmed as the peace of God begins to overwhelm you. All the stuff that clouds your mind, like Karen called it, the, the mind clutter, all that stuff just begins to go away. So it's a beautiful, beautiful presence of the Lord. Uh, we have been, for the last uh, several weeks, we have been uh, really leaning into this invitation we see across the world, actually, uh, revival, where the presence and the peace and the humility of leaders and just the kindness of the Lord is coming in, and people's lives are just being transformed. We've seen so much uh, testimony from relating churches where we've seen God just moving uh, stories of transformation, testimony, it's just a beautiful thing. So come and lean in, like Karen says, we're going to talk a little bit about what soaking is. Soaking is a, it's, it's a made-up phrase, it's just a kind of a description of what it means to just get into the presence of God. We're going to talk about more about doing that, and if you've never done that, some really amazing things that can happen in those moments where you're just sitting in the presence of the Lord. So often we think we've got to do something. You know, I've got to praise and I praise, and there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says even to bring a sacrifice of praise. But at some point, um, Jesus says, like Karen was reading when we opened the service, he says, come away with me, my beloved. At some point, you just got to let go and come away with him and just see what that looks like. And I'm telling you, if you ever do it, you never want to go back. We have been in a series for the last uh, several weeks. I think this is actually the sixth one, so this has been a long one, on spiritual maturity. We talked about a bunch of things. One, we talked about uh, when we were connecting with uh, connection groups and, and, and community groups. We were talking about how 
uh, relationship drives maturity. Iron sharpens iron. So if you're not in community, there's a lot of spiritual maturity that you miss. There's a lot of relationship. Uh, God wants to use relationship to, to challenge us, to remind us, to, um, you know, to, uh, yeah, just to, just to get us sometimes to move in ways we wouldn't move if we were by ourselves. So we, we talked about that. We talked about uh, last week, we talked about context. Um, context is king in the Bible. If you, pull, if you pull a word out of a scripture or out of a sentence, you pull the sentence out of the paragraph, the paragraph out of the chapter, and on and on and on. What happens if you're not careful is you, you begin to build your theology, your understanding, your study of God on scriptures that are completely untrue. And the danger is your, your brain says, well, it's the Bible, so I can read the Bible. And, you know, it can't be wrong, right? But if you notice, when Jesus was led into the wilderness, um, the enemy comes to him and challenges him. And when he does, he doesn't do it with lies about his identity necessarily. He does that, but he does it through Scripture. Isn't that interesting that the enemy was using Scripture out of context to challenge Jesus, and Jesus wouldn't stand for it because he understood um, the character and the nature of God, and he understood all that because he'd studied, right? So we talked about context. This week we're going to talk about tension. Um, and spiritual maturity, tension is something that a lot of times you don't get. I remember when I was first saved, uh, there was a lot of talk about balance, having a balanced life. And can I just tell you, there is no such thing as a balanced life, <laughs> right? Because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dangerous term because balance gives this picture of, you know, it's perfectly in the middle. You know, one side's not too heavy. The other side's not too heavy. And so, you know, the goal is to just get in that perfect spot in the middle and just balance everything. That never, ever happens, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, balance when you're walking, balance is controlled falling constantly. That's literally what it is. It's correcting. When you take a step, it's correcting for you went too far, <laughs> right? And then you, you, you bring it back, and when you stop, your, your body is in constant motion. Your muscles, especially the small muscles in your body, are in constant tension, back and forth, moving back and forth. There's a pull and a push in, our, in our, all of our joints. All this is the way God designed it, is to create this, this sense of tension in our bodies that's constantly being moved back and forth one way or the other. And that's tension. And tension is something that's always there. Um, balance can be a, a little bit deceive, uh, deceiving if we're not careful because we think we can arrive at something. And don't get me wrong, spiritual maturity is a journey. And there's a place where you were more mature this week than you were last week. And that, th that's designed to grow. Paul said things like, um, by now you ought to be teachers, but I'm having to come and teach you again the basic principles of Christ. So we want to grow from being a child. And Paul said it this way again. Um, it, it's a decision that we have to make. He said, when I was a child, I did childish things, but when I became a man, in other words, in the Jewish custom, turn 13, the bar mitzvah, and they, they are now known as a young man as opposed to a child. They move from childish things into their, their, their challenge to take responsibility and begin to walk in a level of maturity that they, they were never responsible for as a child. But this is what Paul said. He said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. Isn't that interesting? There's a part that we play, and so we're going to get into that when we talk about tension. So what is tension? I remember studying when I was studying to become an architect. I never made it, by the way. I discovered that my architecture was in another realm <laughs> in spiritual things. And so I never actually became an architect. But as I studied, we studied um, buildings. And, and, and what was really interesting about con uh, concrete, concrete was designed to be compacted, to hold heavy weights. That's why you build foundations with it. It stands on top of it, and it pushes. But if you pull on concrete, it'll come apart immediately. I mean, you have to have you know, a lot of strength, obviously. But you can pull concrete apart, but pushing it together is, is where it's strong. But steel is, is something entirely different. Steel can, can both be compacted and it can also 
be under tension. So you see bridges, especially bridges, under tension. And what's happening is there's this constant tension that's pulling in two different directions that holds something in that tension. So it's it's in balance, but it's in balance because there's two forces pulling on either side. So there's lots of ways to understand this. Um, Guitars, I'm a guitarist, and and the way you tune your guitar strings means that you're putting those, those metal strings under tension And if you have too much tension, you can break the string. If you have too little tension, you have horrible music, (laughs) right? So tension is really, really important. There's a bunch of ways to understand that, but but tension again is to pull on two different pull from two different directions. So where do you see this in Scripture? There's a couple um, really interesting places. Example: salvation by faith versus salvation by works. So if you come from a Catholic background. Um, salvation by faith and by works is, is their theology. And so part of Protestant theology, um, Martin Luther and the whole thing that happened you know, at the, the Wittenberg church on the door, his 95 Theses, all that was about, we have been teaching the body of Christ something that we need to stop. And he just wanted to have a discussion. He had no idea what he was starting when he did that. You go read his story. He was like, oh, I have messed up, right? It's like, I have opened a can of worms and we're not putting the worms back in there and the worms don't need, that's a horrible way to look at theology. But it, anyway, so, so the picture then is he comes and he says, the just shall live by faith. That was his great revelation. Why? Because the just were trying to live by faith and works, right? And so we've hold those things in tension. So, you know, and James talks about, can you have faith without works? And so it's a good question. You know, what does it look like? And, but having that in the right order and the right tension is really important. Ephesians 2 9 speaks to it directly. In the NIV, it says, it's grace. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So it speaks directly to that in the scripture. The New Living Translation, which is not really a translation, it's a paraphrase, says it this way. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Isn't that refreshing? (laughs) You don't have to work for it. You can just believe for it. Um, Here's another one. The kingdom come, the kingdom not yet. This is a kingdom inauguration. Uh, Jesus comes and he says the kingdom is here, but the kingdom is not fully realized. And so you see this in Hebrews. I won't read the whole thing, but he's talking about, um, he's quoting a psalm. It says, what is man that you're mindful of of man? So he's saying you're created a little lower the angels, but you've been crowned with majesty. And then he uses that psalm. He's talking about humanity. And he uses that song, to, uh, that psalm, to transition into a, a discussion about the Messiah. And then he says this: He says, "For that he put all, all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him." Remember, the Bible speaks to Jesus at some point. All of his enemies are going to be made his footstool. Right? You see that in another place in Scripture. But it goes on. It says, "He left nothing that is not put under him." But now we do not yet see all things put under him. So can you feel the tension? You feel the tension of. We come into this room and we're worshiping. We feel the peace and the joy and the love and the kindness and the goodness and the mercy of God. And we just relish in it. And then we, if we're not careful, we walk right out into the world and the world begins to flood back in. And you feel the tension of the kingdom is here in us, right? The kingdom is inside of us and the kingdom is here. But you can recognize very quickly the kingdom is not yet in a whole lot of places, right? You see turmoil, you'll see wars, you see rumors of wars, Jesus said. So there's, there's a sense of the kingdom has come and inaugurated in Jesus, uh, not his birth, but his death on the cross. But then the realization of that, and there's a part of that we're going to talk about in just a second, about holding these things in tension. So don't lean too far into one tension or the other. So there's a, there's a place of movement back and forth in these tensions. But if you lean too far into kingdom, not yet, 
then you'll constantly be saying things like, well, you know, God must have meant that to be. Well, if he did, why are you praying? Why should anybody pray if God just meant for everything? If everything's just going to happen the way it was going to happen, he just pushed play on the VCR. You can tell I'm not new, <laughs> right? What is, you push play on your iPod. No, that's even old. That's just as old. You, you got what I'm saying, right? Is that how God did it? He just pushed play on it, and it's just a, a movie playing before us. And the answer is, of course not. There's an interaction between us, and he said to Adam on the day he, he created him, he created him for this world, and he said, I'm giving you dominion over everything, right? We have friends who grew up in Africa, and lions are a real thing. Like, we, we used to tell them, they just like walk around in the streets in your city or something, you know, because we grew up in Alabama, we don't know. But they're like, no, you dummy. They're like, you know, <laughs> we ran them all out. They're out in the woods now, basically, in the bush. But you can come across them. Like you, if you're traveling between cities and some desolate areas um, and, it, and your car breaks down at night, you don't go walking to the next gas station because you will also go missing. You see how that works, right? <laughs> so, so there's a tension even there of God's given dominion, but without, you know, without using our intelligence and some of the things that God's given us. So the lion in a, you know, in a one-on-one situation is probably going to win. But give me a sniper rifle, you know, <laughs> we're going to win every single time. We'll sneak up on him, right? He doesn't even see it coming. So, so you see the tension constantly in this. Here's another one, God's mercy versus his judgment, right? So it's, is God's mercy for you or is his judgment for you? And here's the picture. It, it was literally resolved in Christ. What Jesus did on the cross, what he paid for on the cross, was so that all the judgment would fall on him, which means there's no more wrath left for you. Now, if you're a believer, that's, a, that's really good news. That's why we call it the gospel, the good news, right? There's no more wrath for you. But sometimes you feel it. Why? Because we live in a kingdom come, but a kingdom not yet. But what's, what's your responsibility? What is it that you ought to do? What tension do we live in? Do we just let things happen to us? Or we run around declaring and decreeing everything, Right? I can do all things. We said this last week in context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A friend of mine preached that, and he said, you know, I wanted to be Michael Jordan so bad, but I was short and couldn't play basketball. <laughs> so is that what that scripture means? I can be Michael? No, we know better than that, right? So we have to be careful running around saying, you know, God said this, or God, we're decreeing this. If you are doing that in your own strength, we're going to get to this, you are going to severely mess up, right? So we know this. God's sovereignty, this is the big one. This is the one that theologians constantly discuss. God's sovereignty versus humanity's free will. So faith versus faithfulness, right? I'm, having, I'm trusting the Lord for something. And so my question to you is, what do you mean by I'm trusting the Lord for that? Do you just mean I'm passive going, you know, Lord, if it's your will, right? You hear this prayer sometimes. We used to, I used to do this. Lord, if it's your will, heal this person. And the Bible says, don't, if you're not, not going to pray in faith, maybe don't pray, right? Because you're doing a disservice because you're, you're, basically you're just parroting words. But if you pray in faith, what you're doing is saying, I'm calling on something, God, that you said belongs to us. You have given us this authority. You have given this, the Bible says healing as an example, is the bread of the children. It belongs to us. Jesus paid for that on the cross. He paid for that with the stripes on his back. You know, it talks about by his stripes, you are healed. And then eventually in Peter, it says by, your, by his stripes, you were healed. So somewhere there's the kingdom come and the kingdom not yet. See the tension. So which one do we lean in, lean into? Well, if you're young and you're not sick at all, you don't care about that one. You don't. <laughs> but if you get sick, 
all of a sudden, you quit being a cessationist, and you become, you know, very quickly, I think God wants to heal people because, you know, I'm sick, and I don't want to be sick anymore. And here's how you know, and, and this drives me crazy as a pastor, so forgive me if I just kind of be real for a second. But someone, someone tells me, they said, you know, I just don't believe God's healing is for today. And I'm like, didn't you just go to the doctor? And they see no irony in that. Like, if God wants you to be sick because he's trying to teach you something, by you going to the doctor, you are literally undermining the work of the Lord in your life. And I say it out loud, and they go, and their eyes kind of glaze over a second, and their brains start humming, right? Because they're like, huh, I'd never thought of it that way. But again, again, there's tension. I'm not saying just run around. Go, if I could go heal everybody in the hospital, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. I'd be at the hospitals. So I understand that I can't heal anybody, but Jesus did say for me to, because of the power of the gospel, because of the power of what he's done, because it's my righteousness as a gift, not something I've deserved, I can pray for healing. Here's another example of how that works and how the enemy takes advantage of it, especially with men, especially with fathers, husbands, um, places of authority. So many times men are undermined because they get caught up in pornography. They get caught up in passivity. We see this all the time, especially in men. And what will happen is the enemy will come to them and say, you know what? Because of that, you don't really have any authority as a man. Right? And so don't get me, don't get me wrong. You can undermine that. And you can, you can, if you're not careful, you can undermine your authority in your own home, in your own life. But if you think your authority comes because you've been good, you don't understand the gospel. So am I saying it's okay to do those things? Of course not. I'm not saying that, right? We know better. Stop sinning if you're sinning. <laughs> In case you were wondering how I feel about that, right? But the picture of this is there's a, there's a tension between faith and faithfulness, and you have to lean into both of those things. Some of that goes back to what the Bible says. We talked about this last week. To study, show, to, study to show yourself approved a workman that doesn't need to be um, ashamed. Why? Because if you study and you understand who God is, you're not decreeing and declaring things that God hasn't said, right? You're not trying to do things. You're not trying to lean into something that God has, hasn't said that you, that you could do. So you, you learn this thing where you understand and you study and you understand who God, who God is. And the Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God. Not that you could be approved because of your study but to study to show that you do understand you are approved by God and God can work through you because you understand what it means to have faith in who he is and what he said and what belongs to you as your inheritance in Christ, amen? So here's a great picture of this. It's just a story of Nehemiah. Most of us kind of understand this, but I'm just gonna go through like a summary, a little bit of, of the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, who was a Persian king. Babylon had come in uh, years before, had taken Jerusalem uh, captive. It, it, they killed a bunch of people. They destroyed the city, broke down the walls, burned the gates, and they hauled off all the Jewish people, almost all of the Jewish people, into Babylon to become slaves and to work for them. Um, we see Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see kind of how the story works. And so they're off out here because they've sinned against God and they've messed up. And this is the old covenant. And so there are consequences for that. So they're in this place. And these people, even there, even there, the goodness and the kindness of God, these men begin to rise to places of, place of authority. Not just men, but Esther. You see all these people rise to places of authority and power, even under the brokenness of, being, of living in a broken and a, and a, a culture that they're in bondage to, right? So, so again, here's Nehemiah. He's the cupbearer. And so as the cupbearer, he tastes the king's wine. That's basically what that job description is. Anybody know why? <laughs> How would you like that job? Well, in case it's poison, right? So you drink the cup and, and you die before the king is like, oh, we need another cupbearer. 
it's Tuesday, you know, that, one, that one's dead. But part of what would happen as a cupbearer is because you would lay your life down for the king literally every single day, the king began to trust you more and more and more to the point where often cupbearers were some of the greatest advisors to the king. So they'd rise to place, places of a political authority that others did not have. They would start out often as slaves. So this is Nehemiah, and so he becomes this trusted, confidant, and key advisor to the king. So he, he's, he's in this um, in this palace, the summer palace, um, and his brother comes in with some other Jews, and they're telling about what's happened in Jerusalem. So again, um, they've already had people go back to Jerusalem, begin to rebuild the temple. So some people had already been gone back under Cyrus, which was the previous king, right? He had made a decree that they could come back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild, and he challenged all the surrounding countries or the areas that belonged to Persia, but different governors, you have to give them what they need to rebuild right? So now years have gone by. Um, stories get back that it's not happening. Um, the, the people are in distress. They're discouraged. People are taking them and enslaving them. Some of the governors around them are, are, are enslaving them. They're taxing them. People, they're having to borrow money to pay for their crops and different things. And then they're holding them under usury, tremendous expense. And so they, they go broke and they can't afford to pay it back. And now they're being enslaved. So this is the picture of where Jerusalem, where the Jews were at the time. Nehemiah hears about it, his heart's broken, and he cries out to God, and so he feels like God wants him to go and do something about it, right? He didn't say, well, God, if it's your will, <laughs> right, Jerusalem will be restored. <laughs> he said, God, is there something I can do about this? So he goes to the king, again, short story, he goes to the king. The king says, not only can you do this, he, he goes back and he sees that there's a, a decree given by Cyrus the king. And he renews that, and so he doesn't just say, hey, you can go back and do this. He gives him people to go with him, and he also, again, tells all the people in the surrounding area, you have to give um, timber and, and, and materials so that they can rebuild, right? So he does that. They start a journey at 600 miles. You can see this on the map, 600 miles from uh, Babylon, which is now Persia, is, run, is owned by the Persians now, to go back to the city of Jerusalem. They go up over the top because to come through here was very dangerous. So they go over the top 600 miles walking, right? It's not exactly an easy journey. But they get there, and what he finds is the people are in distress and trouble. They're reproached and disgraced. They're extorted, and they're slaved, enslaved. And so Jerusalem, here's a picture kind of, a, of what Jerusalem might look like. Here's a picture of it. And it was totally destroyed by the Babylonians 70 years before, right? So down or up at the top, you ever read in the Bible where it says they had to take down the high places? Back then, their mindset was God's in heaven, even if it's not you know, the, the, the Jewish God. Gods are in heaven. And so we go up to the high places so there's nothing between God and us. There's a symbolism in that, right? And so they also built the temple. Jerusalem, or the Jews built the temple on the high place, on the hill, this, what they called the city of David. Down at the bottom, that's called the Pool of Siloam, right? Anybody ever heard this? Recently, they discovered... When they were, they, they'd had some of the Pool of Siloam uncovered, um, something like six steps had gone down, but the, uh, but the land for the rest of it belonged to someone else and they couldn't do anything with it. And it's been that way for years. Recently, they acquired ownership of that and now they're going to uncover the entire Pool of Siloam. It's happening right now. They figure they'll have it done within two years. Um, they've done most of the excavation right now. This pool was an acre and a half. It was the size of two, um, uh, two Olympic-sized swimming pools. And three times a year, the Jews would come here, and they would, they would cleanse themselves in this pool. Pentecost, uh, Passover, um, the Feast of, uh, what was it, the Feast of, uh, uh, 
Tabernacles, yeah, the Feast of Tabernacles. So they would cleanse themselves, then they would walk up to the top of, you know, the, the, to go up and they would sacrifice. And so this was the journey of the Jews, and everything was destroyed. And specifically, the walls had been knocked down and the gates had been burned. So the people were moving in here and they were being attacked on all sides. And they were being, like I said, they were being uh, discouraged. They were being beat down. They were being enslaved by governors on the, on the side. So Nehemiah asked the king, can I go? He says, yes. He goes into this place. He begins to take it open. The moment he gets there, there's opposition. You ever feel like that as a believer? The moment things start to go in the right direction, it feels like all hell comes against you. You know why that is? Because all hell is coming against you. I know that's deep theology, but there it is. So, so you see this even in the New Testament. This is 2 Corinthians 7. Paul talked about it. He said, for indeed, when we came to Macedonia, so he comes in preaching the gospel in Macedonia, and he says, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. See that tension, the kingdom come and the kingdom not yet? They're advancing the kingdom, preaching the gospel, signs and wonders and transformation and lives, broken lives being restored, God doing miracles, heal. I mean, some amazing stories, right? And at the same time, he said, we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. So just take that phrase for a second. Outside were conflicts, inside were fears. In the next part of that passage, it says, nevertheless, God who comforts the downcast comforted us. And the way he did that was by sending Titus. That goes back to relationship driving maturity, right? So here he is. He's saying outside were conflicts, inside were fears. So there's a, we talk about the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat, right? A thermometer detects what the, the, the temperature is and, and it, just adjust, it just looks like that. So in the culture, if you're a thermometer Christian, <laughs> right, you look just like the culture. Karen remarked during our, when she was kind of closing out the worship time that we are marked by his presence. It's the one thing that differentiates us as believers to the rest of the world, right? We have a new heart. We have a new, we're a new creation. We're totally different than people who don't know Jesus. We're not better, but we're different, right? And we're supposed to be. He says, uh, the God who comforts the downcast. This is who God is. Even though, see the tension, even though outside is conflict, even inside is fear, maybe some doubt, but the Bible says God is the God who comforts. Here's one way he did it, but he's always doing it if you're paying attention to the tension that's going on. So the building of the walls of Zion is symbolism, especially in the New Covenant, referring to the gathering, defending, preserving the church, the mission of God. Jerusalem was the place where God would reside, right? And the design was that, that the people of God, God would bless them, and from there they would go out into the world and they would bless, this is what God told Abraham, you will bless the nations. I'm gonna bless you so that you can bless the nations. And so guess what they did? They got all the blessing and they kept it for themselves and they never went on mission and never understood why God was no longer blessing them in the old covenant because they had taken all the blessings for themselves and could care less about the outcasts, the downcast, or the broken. And so often the church is, it happens in the same way. So the walls, if you will, are like the value system of the kingdom. What makes your marriage different than the marriage for the, the person who doesn't know Jesus? Anything? What makes your kids different? What makes your heart, what makes your service different? People serve. What, what makes your worship, what, what makes you different than the people who don't know Jesus? So God's calling us to build godly marriages, godly families. It turns into godly communities and godly cities, godly nations, and on and on and on. You're seeing this right now. 
where godly governments in states are rising up and pushing back and making laws, godly laws that said, hey, whatever you think you're going to do, you don't get to do that in our state. You want to do that? Go over there. They'll let you do it, but you're not doing that here. Where does that come from? It comes from a desire to say we're going to stand up and we're going to build the walls around this place, whether it's our community or whatever, and we're going to say this is where the kingdom values preside and you don't get to tear this down, right? So this is symbolism. So you pick it up in chapter 4, Nehemiah. It says, but so it happened when Sambalot heard that they were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and indignant. So here's one of the governors who wanted nothing to do with the Jews getting their city back because he was one of the ones who was persecuting and enslaving people. He says he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria, and this is what he said. Listen to this. Does this sound like the devil to you? What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish? You ever feel like that when you feel like God's calling you to rise up and build something out of the ashes and everybody stands around you going, that'll never work? You ever feel like that? Usually it's your family. I don't know why. It's like, you know, it's like the crabs. They just keep pulling out the crabs. I'm like, you're not getting out. (laughs) Nobody gets free. We're all going to die in this bucket, right? It's like that pessimism of the day. He goes on. It says, stones that are burned. And now Tobiah, another guy, he was beside him. And he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Mockery. I mean, just think about the mockery of like, whatever you're trying to build, it's not going to be worth it. Whatever your value system you're trying to build in your family, it's not worth it, right? So they ridiculed, they ridiculed the hope to protect themselves. They ridiculed the religion. They ridiculed the materials. Think about that, even the stuff they were building with. It's like, you're going to build with that? You're going to build your marriage with, um, you know, you're not going to cheat on your wife? That's not possible. Nobody can do that, right? Evolution, after all. Right? So when you just kind of see what's going on. So Nehemiah responds in, in verse 4. He says, Hear, O God, this is what's interesting. He did not take the accusations personally. Can I tell you that's what we do sometimes? We take the accusations personally. He said, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you, for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. Listen, he didn't say, you guys leave us alone. Stop picking on us. You know what he said? He goes, look, we're on mission for the God who called us to build. So when you pick on me, I'm the builder, but I'm only building because God has told me to build and he's telling me what to build with. So maybe try that. When someone, when there's accusation, when there's mockery, when you feel like the enemy is coming in from every direction, you can take it personally and say, woe is me. You know, this is gonna be my lot in life. Or you can rise up and you say, you know what? I think God is probably capable of taking care of his own business. But here's what's not going to happen. If you're on your own mission, you're responsible. And that's the tension. So often, one of the reasons why we're failing, why we're not making headway, is because we are asking God to bless our mission instead of asking him to bless the mission he's called us to be on for him. It's a big, big, big difference. Who are you building your marriage for? How are you building your business, your career, all the dreams and goals and all these things that wash over you? And, and again, not, not that any of these are necessarily sin, but what's the primary driver? What's the purpose? What's the call on your life? So you see Nehemiah, he's like, look, I'm on mission. I'm on a mission from God. 
<laughs> Blues Brothers, right? I'm on a, not, not as crazy, but he was on a mission from God, right? And he's like, these people are holding your mission down, God. And he just said, God, he just said, God, you do it. You take care of it. Beautiful. So um, Nehemiah 4.7, it says, now it happened when these guys, again, the Arabs, the Ammonites too, everybody was against them. Um, they heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry. <clears throat> Part of the reason why people get angry about your righteousness is, one, they don't believe it's a gift. They think somehow you, you earned it, and they keep trying to earn it, and they can't earn it. So if, like the crabs again, if they can't, if you, you know, if you get up, it's going to shine the darkness on you. I remember when I first met the guy who was in up, he ended up leaving me to the Lord. I loved him and hated him at the same time. I did. He, he drove me crazy. And I remember reading a scripture later on that captured it. Um, it, said it, was, it was like an incense of life unto life and death unto death. I could feel, I would look at him. He was such a righteous guy. It, it didn't help that he was good looking and a, and a muscle, you know, he was a muscle or a bodybuilder. So that wasn't helpful. He was like, you know, I wish he was ugly, but, you know, take what you get. So he, he was a great guy. He was an incredible husband. His dad had been a pastor and he'd gone off the rails and he found Jesus again and his life was beautiful. And I hated him for it. Because he would do the right thing all the time, and I couldn't. And it would push back this darkness on me. I wanted to hide because he was the light, and I wanted to hide in the darkness. And that's why so often people are angry at you. If you're living as on mission for God, so often people get angry because it exposes the darkness in them. You ever had the, the darkness exposed in you? What does that make you want to do? Does it make you want to go jump out in the light and go, look, I'm naked? <laughs> right? Or does it make you want to hide your eyes? And, and, and here's why grace is so powerful. When you understand that, you can come before the Lord and say, Lord, thank you for the gift of clothing me. I didn't create my own clothes. You did this. Thank you for not just clothing me, but clothing me in splendor. Putting the ring back on my finger. Giving me my title, my position, my authority. All those things. We get it, right? So he said, uh, it goes on, it says, And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So often the way the enemy gets a hold of your life is to create confusion. What are you on about? If I were to ask you right now, what has the Lord said to you and what are you doing about it? What would you say? Do you even know? What's the Lord saying to you about your marriage? What's the Lord saying to you about your kids? What's the, world, what's the Lord saying to you about politics right now? And is his voice the voice that you're listening to or have you picked Fox or CNN? Right? Whose voice are you hearing and what are you doing about it? And if you can't answer that question, you're not being a good disciple. You're loved, but you're loved and you're in confusion. You can be loved and have clarity. That's what God is after as a disciple, right? So they bring intimidation and discouragement. And then Nehemiah 6, jumping over a couple of passages, says, These guys again sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. What an interesting plain, right? <laughs> he saw, like, can you... I'm like, this is so funny. But they were scheming to harm me, you think, on the plane of oh no, right? <laughs> so he says, I sent messengers to them with this reply. This is what he sent to the enemies who were trying to distract, discourage, and get him off track. This is what he said. I am carrying on a great project, and I cannot come down to you. I am so sorry. Whatever your agenda is, is not going to be my agenda. You ever just, just decide one day to go, I am not... I'm not carrying anybody else's monkey. No more monkeys on my back. You keep your own monkeys. <laughs> I'm not doing it anymore. I remember Karen said this one, one time to somebody, I forget what it was. She goes, that is not my issue. That's your issue. And I was like, 
dang. <laughs> I'm glad she didn't say that to me. It was kind of sort of to me, but that's another story. <laughs> the whole point is, is when that happens, you see this picture. He's like, I am not going to be distracted. I refuse. Listen to what it says. It says, um, um, four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. Do you give in? At some point, the enemy goes, you know, you're just never going to do this. And finally, you're like, you know what? I'm just never going to do it. I can never amount to anything. This marriage is not going to work. My kids are going to be crazy. <laughs> right? Is that what you say? You know, like, or do you just like, like when, the, when the guy comes to your door to deliver whatever the enemy has for you, and he goes, hey, you need a sign for this. All you have to do is go, hey, dude, don't know where that's going, but I didn't order that. So I am not going to sign my name to it. So take that next door. Matter of fact, that guy over there, I don't like him. Take it to him, right? <laughs> I was in a passage just above that one. Anyway, I'll get there. So here's the thing, Nehemiah 6.15, he says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul, in 52 days, 52 days, he went in. All this distraction, discouragement, all these things were happening. And Nehemiah, as a leader, said, this is God's intent, is to build back the walls of Jerusalem because as God blesses Jerusalem, God will bless the world. As God blesses you, God will bless your, your spouse. As God blesses you, he'll bless your kids. As God blesses you, he'll bless this church and this community and this city What's going to happen is that, that God is going to begin to rise up in the world. Why? Because he's rising up in you and he's rising up in me. We don't need more Republicans or Democrats in Congress. We need godly men and women who will hear from heaven. Right? Now, some of those things are pretty obvious. It's like you can't, if you agree to this, it's going to be really difficult to be a godly person, right? If you agree to this set of values. So look at that and go, does, does my values, do my values line up with who God says I'm supposed to be? If they don't, change your values, right? Don't ask God to change for you. Don't ask God to come on your mission. You jump on his. So here's, I want to close with this. Just a simple question. Are you co-laboring on God's mission for you and your family? Or are you asking him to co-labor on your mission? If you're acting in your own authority, that means you have to enforce your own authority. And let me just say this, I don't care how strong you are, that's going to be limited. And at some point, there's going to be enough enemies around you that they're going to overpower you, and it's going to be done. The thing that, that made the, the Christian church so amazing in the early days, the early, first 300 years of church history, was they were persecuted, they were destroyed. They're, if their leaders were discovered, the leaders were killed. And leaders would rise up in the midst of them, and they would lead even stronger. Persecution drove their love for God deeper and their passion for mission further. Right? So what happened? I think the truth is, at some point, the church has said, God, I want you to come on board for what I'm doing, rather than the church come and say, we're going to do what you say, Lord. We as elders in our church, um, you know, a couple, a couple of weeks ago, the Lord said, hey, I, I'm, I'm sending an invitation to you. What will you do with it? And so because of that, we changed the way we've been doing our services. We, we added another song in our worship time. We went after that with our leaders. We said, hey, this is what God, we feel like God is calling us to. And we have been experiencing that. Why? Because we aligned ourselves with what God is doing. And if you, if you do God's thing, God's way, you get God's result. You can't mix up that equation and get something, get the same, same uh, result. You can't do your thing God's way and get God's result. You can't do God's thing your way and get God's result. You have to do God's thing his way. 
And that's where the Bible says study to show yourself approved. Here's the thing, though. If you act in God's authority, you don't have to enforce it. You can do like Nehemiah said, God, they're talking about you. They're talking about your builders, Lord. Wow, isn't that powerful? I'm trying to build my family, Lord, and the school system is talking about, they're talking about you and how we're trying to build our family in a kingdom way. God, would you rise up? Would you bring that to nothing? And God will do it. But at some point, you have to take a stand. Are you discouraged? Because you've been trying. You didn't, what's, I mean, are you just getting beat down? The enemy's coming after you left and right. Are you discouraged? Nehemiah literally means Yahweh or God comforts or encourages. So Nehemiah comes into Jerusalem, and his very identity was designed for what those people were going through. For such a time as this, talked about Esther, right? What about you? For such a time as this, I remember so often growing up, I'm like, Lord, I want to leave this one-horse town and like never finish the statement and go to that five-horse town. It's like still a bunch of horses and towns, right? <laughs> it's just crowded and you can't get anywhere quick because there's too much congestion on the highways, right? And what, what was the challenge? The challenge was I'm like, I could not bloom where I was planted because I didn't understand that I was being planted. So my question, you know, again, are you discouraged? Are things going wrong? Do you know who you are? Do you know where you are supposed to be? If God called you to New York City, what the heck are you doing here? Get in the car and get your butt to New York City. Right? I'm I'm just saying, if God called you to go on the mission field, what are you doing here? If God's called you to start your own business, not you're impulsive and you just want to. That's not the same thing. But if God called you to do it, do it. Plan. Don't just throw it, caution to the wind, plan it. Nehemiah planned. He built the wall in 52 days because he had a plan to get it done. So here's the thing. David, at some point, when everything went south, he's on mission for the Lord. The Bible said, you know, his people are taken away and he comes and he sits down. He's absolutely discouraged. And this is what the Bible said. The Bible says, David strengthened himself in the Lord. At some point, community is going to let you down. Even God's community is going to let you, you're going to feel sometimes completely alone. And, and, and again, it's not because God's people are doing anything necessarily wrong. It's because oftentimes the Lord wants you in a desert. We talked about the, 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 the blooming in the desert. We were opening up in our worship time. This, this uh, super bloom, this super blossom, this massive, the seeds are already there in the desert. And then the rain comes and it blooms. God often drives people to the desert. Jesus said, I was led into the desert, into the wilderness by who? The devil? His own devices? Nope. By, by God's Spirit. Driven into the wilderness. Why? Because whatever was awaiting there was going to help him understand, understand who he was. He was going to take a stand. And for such a time as this, you exist in whatever space you are in your family, in your community, in this city, in this state, in this time in the world. You are here now on purpose because God meant for you to be here and be here now. So stand up. Take a stand. Build. So this is the last, just two scriptures, Nehemiah 4.14. He says, don't be afraid of them. You have to choose. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Remember, ascribe to the Lord glory, faith, and the next thing is faithfulness. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. God is awesome. He will be on your side. But you have to fight. 
You have to get up. And the Bible says you don't fight against flesh and blood. So if you're arguing with people on the internet, stop doing that. It's just not helping. How many conversions have you gotten in your lifetime? Probably none, right? But you're all about it, man. I'm gonna, you, you were invited out by Sanballat and Tobias to meet with them on the plains of Oh No. And you showed up on Facebook, oh no, and you're just fighting. And you're like, meanwhile, the wall is not getting built. And everything God called you to do is completely on hold. I just want to challenge us. It's time. Remember the Lord. He is awesome. He is great. He will fight for you. But you also have to fight yourself. David was so many times, David did stupid things and then amazing things like all of us, right? One of the things he did is he numbered the people of Israel. He numbered the warriors of Israel. You know why? Because that's how you determine whether you could go up against and fight another nation. And the Bible says, he wrote about this in the Psalms, do not trust in horses and chariots, right? But trust in who? Trust in the name of the Lord. Trust in him. He is my high tower. I can run to him for refuge. He fights my battles. Go read the Psalms. It's amazing. The picture is this. When you watch him, at one point he said, God, do I go up against him right now? And he's like, no, wait, 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 until you see the trees begin to move because of the wind. Again, symbolism. The Holy Spirit's leading him into this battle. He didn't fight battles God didn't call him into. Why? Because he fought battles God didn't call him into. He always lost. Always. And he suffered for it. So quit fighting battles God hasn't called you into. Fight the battle that God's called. You, you are on mission for a king. If you go in the military, I was in the Air Force, so basically we just sat at desk and wrote things all day long. That's what we did, you know, and then made our pilots go fight wars. <laughs> our officers were like, you go fight. We're enlisted people. We're going to write things down. But, but if you are in special forces, they gave you all this equipment, right? You got all these fancy guns, this incredible, you know, I'd love to buy some of the, some of the uh, scopes that those guys have. You had night vision stuff. It's like $10,000, $15,000 pieces of equipment, and you just bash it on a rock because you didn't know any better, and they just give you a new one. You didn't have to pay the $15,000. Why? Because when you were on mission for the U.S. government, especially those kind of missions, they made sure you had all the equipment that you would ever need. They made sure you had your, the supplies that you need. They made sure that you were trained. They made sure that you had a support system. If you got in trouble, they would come for you. Puff the magic dragon would show up, and everything would go away around you. Beautiful, right? This is, this is the beauty of being on mission for someone else. They provide everything, and that's who God is for you. If, you're, if you are fighting your own battles, you have to provide for you. And at best, listen, at best, even if you're a great provider, you're going to get so stressed that at some point you're just going to break down and say, I can't do this anymore. So here's the last scripture. This is Nehemiah 4.17. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore a sword at his side as he worked. If that's not a picture of the second, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know some of you guys, some of you patriots were thinking that. This is way before America, just so you know, right? Way before concealed carry. This was open carry back in the day, right? You wore your sword on the side, right? Everybody's like, you know, Jesus, he, he rebuked Peter because he cut the guy's ear off. And again, he told Peter later, later on, when you travel, take a sword with you. Why? Because there's crazy people on the road. They'll try to take your stuff and take you off the mission and kill you. 
Don't let them do that. Carry a sword. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. But the difference was Peter was trying to accomplish the will of God with violence when Jesus was saying no. Matter of fact, so much so that after he cut the man's ear off, Jesus just grabbed the ear and stuck it back on his head and healed him 100%. If you don't think that's funny, you have missed the humor of the New Testament. I mean, just can you imagine Peter going, I literally just cut that guy's ear off and you put it back on. If that's not a message to Peter about quit being so impetuous and doing stuff in your own strength, I don't know what is. Every time he saw that guy, he's like, there's that guy. I cut his ear off and there's his ear right back where it belongs, right? This is God. So here's the thing. A sword and a trial. You're always building. In the kingdom, you're building. But at the same time, you're always holding that building in tension with a sword. Do not use the sword for yourself. That's not the way God called. Don't even, don't use the trial. Don't build for yourself. Build and defend and do warfare, warfare with God's intention and mission in mind. When you do that, when you've submitted your family to that, God not will come alongside you. God will come, he will overtake you, the Bible said. If you, at some point, the harvesters are overtaking the people who are sowing the seed. This is the picture of the kingdom. So if we want to quit failing, Quit getting distracted. Quit getting discouraged. At some point, strengthen yourself in the Lord. Even in that passage, it sounds like David just needed to pull himself up by his bootstraps. That is not what that scripture said. It said he strengthened himself in the Lord. He held intention. The Lord is great and awesome, and he's powerful, and he rescues me because I'm on his mission, right? And at the same time, I'm going to fight for my families, and I'm going to fight for my home, and I'm going to rebuild what the enemy has tried to tear down. Would you stand with me? I hope this has been helpful for us. Again, as we lean into this, we're, we're asking God, God, send revival into our midst. What is revival? It's coming alive again, that the church should look like the original church in the book of Acts, and we don't. And until we do, until we come to the fruitfulness, the fullness of who we are in Jesus, God's gonna keep moving amongst us. He's gonna challenge us for us to take personal responsibility and step into the things of God, to step on mission for what he's called us to. Lay down your mission. Lay down your building. You stop doing it for yourself and begin to do it for God and see what happens, amen? So Jesus, we just say to you, Lord, we surrender once again and we submit ourselves to you and say, Jesus, talk to us. Lord, your word says that your sheep hear your voice. We are able, Lord, we are, you are constantly talking. So often we're distracted that we cannot hear and therefore we can't obey. Lord, in this faith and this faithfulness, Lord, I hear your voice. I hear you say, go this direction or that. Take this job or don't. Move to this city or don't. T take on this or don't. Say this to my kids. Lead, um, parent one kid this way and one kid a different way. But Lord, if I can't hear your voice, I can never obey into it. And Lord, if I hear your voice, will you give me the courage, help me to be strengthened in you, to have the courage to say, Lord, you will fight this battle so I can be courageous in taking this battle on because it's not mine, it's yours. And so Jesus, thank you for saving us. Thank you for putting us in this place, in this time, for such a time as this. Lord, we stand ready to respond to what you're calling us to do. In your name we pray, amen. If you need prayer this morning, our team will be up here. We'd love to minister to you. Otherwise, have a great weekend. We'll see you next Sunday.